We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson Romans the 12th chapter Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we belong to God. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, You're not your own. You were bought with a price. And so in light of that fact, he said, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The question that we might ask ourselves is this. Since we belong to God... And since ultimately he owns everything, have we relinquished control of our lives? Have we said what we possess ultimately belongs to God? Paul here is saying that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I think about how as a child of God, We are to devote our lives to the Lord. We are, in a sense, placing our lives on the altar of God. And so the question is, have we left everything on the altar? Think with me for a moment or two about what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. I want to begin, first of all, by calling attention to the fact that there is a request. Look at what he says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Paul here makes a very personal appeal to the saints in Rome. He identifies them as brethren. They were people of like precious faith. And so his appeal is one that is very personal in nature. Not only is it personal in nature, but it is very passionate He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Let me just pause here and say this. When Paul began this letter back in chapter 1, he talked about how they were the beloved of God. And Paul here is writing on behalf of God. And so he's going to make a request of them to present their bodies a living sacrifice. And he makes this request first in a very personal way, and when you look at the life of Paul, he had a vested interest in the lives of people. He loved people. He loved the church. And so his desire was that they would love the Lord, that they would understand that they were, in fact, the beloved of God. And so a personal request, a passionate request. But then, note if you would, the reason. Why would Paul make this appeal? Listen to him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. 
In the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul talks about God's redemptive plan and how God has lavished upon those of us who belong to the human family the matchless grace of God. Do you remember in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. When he wrote to Titus, he said, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. So Paul could remind them of the mercies of God, his matchless grace, and then I think about his manifold goodness, his marvelous goodness. In Psalm 100, in verse 5, the psalmist said, speaking of God, for he is good. And Paul, in writing to the saints in Rome, reminds all of us of God's goodness, of how good He has been to us. Now you think about it for a moment. He's writing to people then, He's writing to those of us today. And He's saying, you need to understand, the Lord has saved you. He saved you from the captivity, from the clutches of sin. You remember Jesus said, If the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. Do you recall when Paul wrote to Timothy many, many years ago? And he talked about those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. Well, Jesus came to set us free. Jesus would say, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. And so here he's writing to people that had been been saved from the captivity of sin. Furthermore, they had been saved from the corruption of sin. There's a statement found in the book of Proverbs that reminds us of how difficult a life of sin can be. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. There are some people in our world, there are some of us that can attest to the fact that living a life outside the will of God brings heartache, shame, guilt, hurt, And then he would remind them that God has saved them from the condemnation of sin. Back in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 he would say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So you think about the fact that they had been liberated. At one time they had been literally on death row. But now that condemnation ceased over. Then he had saved them from the consequences of sin. In Romans 6.23, Paul said, The wages of sin is death. He said the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, the appeal he makes, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And sometimes when we think about what God has done for us, then it's not so difficult for us to live for him who died for us. And the idea is that we give ourselves to God. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see. We talk about this request. What was the reason behind the request? Well, the reason was on the basis of the mercies of God. But now listen, if you would, to the requirement. Here's what God is asking. Paul here is writing to the church at Rome and he's saying, okay, here's what the Lord wants from you. Here's what he wants from me. He said that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable in the original means logical. 
And the idea is, logically speaking, sometimes we talk about drawing logical conclusions. Okay, here's the conclusion based on the logic. God has blessed us immensely. He's done all these wonderful things for us. He's saved us. He has blessed us. And so it would stand to reason, logically speaking, that we would do what? That we would give ourselves to God, lock, stock, and barrel. So what about this? Listen again to what he said. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let me begin by saying what we're talking about is a bountiful offering. What do I mean when I say a bountiful offering? Well, number one, it has to be a willing offering. And by the way, this is a personal offering. You can't make this offering for me, nor can I make this offering in your behalf. He is talking individually, personally, to every saint. And he's saying, here's what God wants. God wants you to present yourself willingly on his altar. You remember Jesus, what he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What Jesus is saying is, you want to be a disciple of mine, you want to follow me, then it's going to entail you dying to self. Now, when we talk about an altar, what happens on an altar? Animals die, don't they? So when I... Devote my life to the Lord. What am I doing? I am willingly saying, I'm yours, Lord. It's not about me. It's about you. So here, Paul is saying, it's a willing offering. There's a second thing you need to see. Not only is it a willing offering, it is a whole offering. In other words... We are to give our bodies, the entirety of our life, to God. I want you to think about a fellow by the name of Caleb. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 14, verse 8, here's what Caleb said. You remember Caleb? Joshua and Caleb, along with ten other spies, had the opportunity to go and to survey the promised land. They were the only two that came back with a favorable report. They believed that with the help of God, they could go in and take possession of the land. The other two didn't believe that. As a result of that, the children of Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb and those 19 and below. But in Joshua chapter 14, verse 8, here's what Caleb said. I have holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, I have wholly followed the Lord. Could I ask you a question today? Are you wholly following the Lord? In other words, have you given Him your life, lock, stock, and barrel? Does He own everything? Have you honestly, candidly given your life to God? Are you giving Him your everything? Are you? Does He have everything? We sing the song sometimes, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Have you surrendered all to Jesus? Have you left everything on the altar? Have you wholly given your life to Him? Let me tell you what happens. 
It's my experience that in the church, what we typically do is we piecemeal our Christianity, don't we? And by that, I simply mean we give God the leftovers. When I was growing up, we had a dog. And we fed our dog the scraps from our table. Our dog loved those scraps. But let me tell you what. God is not interested in our scraps. If we think God is satisfied with the scraps, what we need to understand is really what we're giving Him is that which is defined as garbage, the leftovers. Joshua said, I have wholly followed the Lord. Well, what does that mean? It means we are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what it means. In other words, I am giving God my all. It's a bountiful offering. Willingly, wholly, I'm giving myself to God. Have you done that? Have you honestly, candidly given yourself to God? There's a passage of Scripture found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 that's worth reflecting upon. Paul said, speaking of saints in the first century, I want you to listen to what he said. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Do you know why the church doesn't grow sometimes? Because we haven't given ourselves to God. Do you know why sometimes works in the church are left incompleted? Because we haven't given ourselves to God. We haven't wholly given ourselves to God. And what Paul is saying is God wants us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. He wants us to give Him our heart our soul, our mind. He wants everything. Now, when I think about this bountiful offering and the fact that God is desirous of that, there's a second thing that comes to mind. And that is God desires the best offering. I would challenge you to go back to the Old Testament and begin looking at the sacrifices offered to God. What kind of sacrifices did God want? What kind did He demand? Well, for example, in Exodus chapter 12, you remember the Passover? When God instituted the Passover, He wanted them to take a lamb or a goat, a year old, without blemish, and offer that to God. If they offered that lamb and took the blood and placed it in the appointed places, what would God do? When He passed through in the night, He would pass over them, sparing the firstborn. In Malachi chapter 1, in verse 8, Malachi cried out against the children of Israel. And if you look at the history of Israel, you'll see that their relationship to God was at best, at best, erratic. They would be faithful for a period of time. They would become unfaithful. Again, they would be faithful and then unfaithful. And so in Malachi chapter 1, verse 8, Malachi raises this question. He said, when you offer the blind as an offering, when you give the blind as an offering, he said, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? What were they doing? Here's what they were doing. They were giving God that which was less than best. You can go back and read the book of Leviticus. You'll find out they were not to give 
that which was maimed or blind, blemished as we would say. Now Paul said we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, listen to him, holy. That means we give God our best. Are you giving God your best? That's just a moment ago. Are you giving him the whole of your life? Are you giving him a holy life? Are you giving him the best? Could I say this? If you're not reading your Bible every day, you're not giving God your best. If you're not praying on a regular basis, you're not giving your best. If tonight, when we meet at 6 o'clock, if you're home and you're thumbing through the television channels, click, 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 you're not giving God your best. You may think you are, but you're not. If you're on the golf course later today or tonight when we're meeting, and you think you're giving your best, you need to rethink that. You're not giving God your best. How do I know that? That's what the Bible teaches. Now you think, what Paul is saying is you need to stop and think. Think. Are you giving God your best? Are you? Are you giving Him your absolute best? Or is He getting the scraps? Let me tell you what, you're staying home tonight, you're staying home Wednesday night, you're not reading the Bible through the week, you're not involved in the work of the church. Worship is, is just an incidental in your life. I want you to understand something. You're not giving God your best. Now you can say, you know what, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's crazy. You know what, maybe I am. Maybe I am. I can tell you this. It's truth. It's truth. What Paul is saying is, we need to think about our relationship to God. Let me tell you another thing. Not only is it a bountiful offering, not only is it the best offering, but it is a bound offering. Now you think about into the old covenant. They, they offered sacrifices on an altar, didn't they? The priest offered. So here's the priest. He's taking this bound offering to the altar. So here we are as Christians presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice on the altar of God. So here's what I want to ask you. What is it that's going to keep you bound to the altar? Here's the problem. We don't want to be bound to the altar, do we? We don't want to be bound to the altar of God. We want to be able to do what we want to do. Let me tell you, there are a lot of folks in the church in the Lord's church, and they bounce around from congregation to congregation. They never place membership. They never get involved in the work of God. And the reason is they don't want to be bound to the altar of God. Don't want to be involved. It's true. And there are some of you here today. You know who I'm talking to. You're not bound to the altar of God. You're not giving God your best. You're not giving Him a bountiful offering. You know it. And I know it. I'm just trying to tell you. You need to rethink where you are spiritually. Think about it. When we talk about that altar, that offering, are you bound to the altar of God? When you live like you want to live, and when you say, you know what, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm going to be the master of my own ship. Well, let me tell you what, that may be your attitude. You may be the captain of your own ship, but you're not bound to the altar of God. What is it that's going to keep you bound to the altar? Two things. Number one, discipline. 
We lack discipline in our lives, don't we? Paul said we're not to live like the world. He said the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man, instructing us to the intent that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Do you know one of the real problems in the church today? Verse 2, Romans chapter 12. The world. The world. That's why we're not devoted. That's why we're not bound to the altar of God because we don't have discipline. There's a second thing. We lack discipline and we lack devotion. What do you mean by devotion? I mean, when I talk about Christianity, I'm saying it is the entirety of your life. It is everything to you. We sing the song, He is my everything. Do we really believe that when we sing it? If when we sing, He is my everything, and we're doing everything but serving Him, living for Him, working for Him, then is He really my everything? Is He? When we sing all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all, and then we leave here, go out and do what we want to do, have we really surrendered our lives to Jesus? Let me answer that for you. Absolutely not. No. No. We haven't. You know what we are? You want to just cut to the chase? If we sing all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all, and then go and do what we want to do, live like we want to live, act like we want to live, we're liars. How do I know that? Listen to John. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Could I ask you a question today? Are you living a lie? Are you? Are you living a lie? Discipline and devotion. Do you remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? He said, I've been crucified with Christ. He said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. Paul would write to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 4, and here's what he said. When Christ... Who is our life? Is he your life? Is it all about the Lord with you? Could I ask you that honestly, candidly? Have you left everything on the altar to God? Is he getting your best? Is he getting a whole life and a holy life? Can you say that? Sometimes I hate to say it, but we need our cages rattled, don't we? Sometimes we need a, a wake-up call. Somebody needs to wake us up. Somebody needs to love us enough to tell us, you know what, you can't live like you want to live and be a child of God. It doesn't work that way. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, you belong to God. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God which is your reasonable, your logical service. In other words, logically speaking, this is what we ought to do. So either logically we're doing this or we're not. Can't, can't be both. Very quickly. Note, if you would, the results. Look at verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Two things Paul talks about here. Number one, there is a transformation. 
The word transformation, really the word, we get our word today, metamorphosis. You know what that word means? A change, meta. Morphous, form. A change of form. Paul is saying, as a child of God, we're supposed to be different. Something ought to be changed about us. Remember when he wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, If any man's in Christ, listen to him, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's saying, you're a, chi- you're, you're a child of God. You're different. People ought to be able to tell there's something different about how you walk, how you talk, how you carry yourself. Why? You're a child of God. Now, there is an inherent danger. The danger is we're going to allow the world to pour us into its mold, to squeeze us into its mold. So so that rather than living a Christ-centered, Christ-exalting life, we're living a selfish sinful life. And let me just say, everything that we're talking about today, it all hinges back to one thing. You know what that one thing is? Self. Did you know that there is a throne within you? And the question is, who's going to sit on that throne? Only two possibilities. Either self will be on the throne or the Savior will be on the throne. Remember what Remember what Peter said on the day of Pentecost? Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he? If he is the Lord of your life, guess what? He is on that throne. He is reigning and ruling in your life today. So, Paul's saying you need to understand the world will squeeze you into its mold. Now, a metamorphosis. We talk about a butterfly. Caterpillar. That caterpillar goes into a cocoon. What happens? He comes out a butterfly. Well, what he's saying is, as a child of God, we are supposed to change, aren't we? We're not to be like the world. I really believe one of the greatest threats to the church today is the world. Why? Because the world is so appealing. And it looks so good and it feels so good. And so we get caught up in this idea that we got to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And Paul's saying, look, as a child of God, you can't live like that. He said, if you're living like that, you're committing spiritual adultery. You can't do it. So you've got to be faithful to God. So there is a transformation and a manifestation. How does it come? By revelation, the revelation of God, by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you renew your mind? How do you change your thoughts? How do you change your actions? How do you change your conduct? By the Word of God, don't you? You remember what Paul said? Let the Word of God, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let God's Word govern your life. I close today asking this question. Have you left everything on the altar? Honestly? Candidly, have you? Could I ask you this question? Do you plan to be back tonight? Do you plan to be back tonight? If your answer is no, not because of work, not because of some illness that may occur this afternoon, hopefully not, but it might. But if you're sitting there thinking right now, I'm not coming back tonight, 
Now you answered the question. I don't have to answer it for you. You've answered the question. If in your mind you've already decided, I'm not coming back tonight, I'm not living for God, in other words, I'm not putting Him first, you answered the question. You haven't left everything on the altar. So, I would encourage you to really think about your relationship to God. And I would encourage you to go home today and to read Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Ask yourself, am I doing that? I'd encourage you to read Galatians 2.20. Is Christ living in you? Read Colossians 3, verse 4. Is He your life? If you can't answer yes to those questions, you need to make some changes. You can do it today. If you're here today and you're not faithful to the Lord, let me tell you what, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon. If you're here today, and you're not a Christian. Here's what you need to do. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Acts 8, 37. Be baptized so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you do that, let me tell you what, God will save you. and You'll be among the redeemed, the saved, Ephesians 5, 23. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.